Tom. All right. So like I said, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. So I've said this before, but when I came back from South Dakota here, you know, Pastor Ken had recommended that there be a couple messages that I ha- sort of have already developed and in my back pocket. And so like I said, every time I have one that I pull it out, it's like, nope, God doesn't let me use it. <laughs> well, tonight, God seems to let me use this one that I've already prepared. And so I don't know if it's for such a time as this or maybe God's just trying to uh, give me an exegetical break. But this is something that I've put together a while back. I kept wrestling saying, did I actually talk about this? Did I teach on this before? It, something seems in my mind that I did. But I search sermon audio, I search our messages, and I can't find anything that I did on 1 Corinthians 3. But this is something that I've had and... And I just hope it's a blessing for you tonight. It was either this or it was Romans 10, 9 and 10 in its eschatological views of the Jewish remnant. And so those would have been the two options, building a spiritual building that Jesus would be proud of or Romans 10, 9 and 10 in its eschatological uh, uh, factor with the Jewish remnant. And so most of you would probably rather have this one than dealing with Romans 10, 9 and 10 and, and just a lot of Old Testament quotes. But that being the case, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. But before we actually jump into that, let's imagine that we have a plot of land, okay? We just bought 76, right? 76 is for sale from what I understand. And so we just bought 76 property out in Billingsley. And we want to build a house. We want to build a house on 76. So you buy the plot of land. There it is. Boom. You got a grove of trees and all this other neat stuff out there in 76. If you're looking for property, check it out. Uh, And so what I want to do is I came up with 13 different things in order to build a house that we would need. Okay? 13 things. Now, I'm not talking about major systems like the air conditioning or or the furnace. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about uh, dishwashers and refrigerators. Uh, I'm talking about what does it take to actually construct a house. Now, we just bought this plot of land. You have trees there. You want to build a house right there. I have 13 things. I want to see how many things you can get off my list that I thought of and how many maybe you come up with that I have not. Anybody have anything right off the bat? Okay, foundation. Is that what you're going to say, Lauren? Okay, so poor foundation. Jerry. A a what? A perk test. That one was not on my list. Dare elaborate. What is a perk test? Sewage. Okay. I'm going to lump that in with one of mine. Okay. My first one was clean up debris, clear ground, and level the property. (laughs) And we need a septic tank because it's in the country, right? Okay. We're not in the country, we're in the city. We're in the city, Jerry. We got public water and sewage. Stop it! All right, perk test. All right, so we got perk test. I'm going to write that one down. I didn't think of that one. Yeah, 14. The list is growing. I don't want to build. Mike. Are we limited to just one action? Until people stop saying stuff. Okay, blueprints. Okay. Uh huh. 
Okay, so you're talking about workers, okay. Okay, that's good. Yep. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I really think this, you know, you guys are really, it's Wednesday night, you guys aren't supposed to be thinking this hard. This is a Wednesday night crowd, y'all work. But yes, laborers, you know, brick mason, stuff like that, architect, drawings, blueprints, Preston. Wood. <laughs> Wood. <laughs> Let's chalk that up to framing. Yes. yes. <laughs> we got one that I had on the list, foundation and framing. What else? Will. Yes, permit. I'll write that down too. Moral of the story, I am not going to buy a house out of the Sears catalog and build it myself because I have no idea what some of this stuff is. Joe. Plumbing. Plumbing. Hey, we're on the same wavelength. Thanks, Joe. I need a millennial. <laughs> Lauren. Electrical. Hey, Rob. Oh, electrical. Are you, are, are you going to do me wrong again, Jerry? Landscape. Hey, okay, good. All right. We'll, we'll do that. Anything else? Insulation. Hey, that was good. Oscar. No, you don't. You don't need engineers. We don't need engineers. <laughs> We're counting that with laborers. Bob. A roof. Ha <laughs> ha, woo. Maybe we should have done this before the prayer request. Far away. Lord. Windows and doors. All right. All right. I got two more things on my list. Preston. Mailbox. No. We're in the country. You don't get mail in the country. Come on, Preston. Huh? Money? Okay, yeah, you need money. Sheetrock, okay, walls. Then we'll do walls with sheetrock, yep. And then, you said what? Flooring. Flooring, thank you. You need to have your joists and, and be able to build subfloor, stuff like that. So what I had on the list was, okay, we just bought 76. You have grove of trees out there. We want to build a building. We need a permit. We need a septic tank, yada, yada, yada. Right, right, Jerry, we need all those things. You're in 76. There's an outhouse out there. We don't need a septic tank. So we need to clean it up, clear the, clear the area, you know, clean up the debris. You need to pour a foundation, right? You need to pour a foundation. You need to build the frame. You frame the house. You need to put the roof up. You need to build the walls. You need to do the electrical, the plumbing. Uh, I had one other thing. You need adequate what? Paint. Paint? Well, yeah, you need paint. I'm talking that up with appliances. We're not dealing with that. Mike! Mind meld. Yes, you need ventilation because you got to get all the toxic gases out, especially with the plumbing and, and yeah. And what? A whale? Oh, a well. We're in the city, though. Remember, we don't need wells. <laughs> so you got ventilation, insulation, windows and doors, and landscape, right? And so this is a rough idea of us buying 76 and wanting to build a house, okay? You're really starting from clearing the ground to actually the curb appeal. What does anything, any of this have to do with anything in 1 Corinthians? 
Well, we'll get to that later, okay? I thought this would be fun to see how much I didn't know, and apparently I don't know a lot about building. Next time I'm getting Jerry, I'm getting uh, Mike White, so I'm getting Mike Jones, because I know Mike Jones knows a lot too, so uh, you know, we're going to build a house out there once I find that Sears catalog. But uh, build a basement? That would, I would need a basement? Why? Safety. We called them Freighty holes in uh, Oklahoma. That's what we called them. You could put the pool table down there too, in the dartboard. Mike's like, yep. Ping pong, yep. So basement, definitely. All right, so this does have relevance. So what I want to do, I want to talk a little bit about drawing illustrations out of what we just talked about. A couple weeks back when uh, Pastor Ken was talking about the woman in the well in John chapter 4, he asked us as far as, you know, what are some illustrations you could use to talk about spiritual things? So some of us uh, gave some really excellent uh, insight as far as drawing spiritual illustrations from just the natural world. Uh, For instance, weeding a garden, trying to take care of weeds before they take over the lush green grass. And so what I want to do is I want to take a particular passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, And draw some illustrations of what Paul is trying to get across and we can apply to our life today. But first we're going to read a few passages, we'll talk and move on from there. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is envy among you, envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You see, Paul's penning this letter to uh, the church in the city of Corinth, which is an area of Greece. Uh, Most of us know quite a lot about the city of Corinth and its landscape, its topography, its demographics. Uh, Historians are kind of debated as far as the population of the city. They range anywhere from 100 to 600,000 people, let alone all the trading merchants that are coming in and out. It was a very prosperous, influential, and affluential city. It had command of two major trade ports. So there was a lot of people coming in and out, a lot of nationalities, a lot of religions, a lot of paganism. Corinth was considered a very immoral city. As a matter of fact, uh, some people say that is one of the original uh, nicknames of Sin City. When we hear of Sin City today, we likely think of Las Vegas. But actually, Corinth had quite a few nicknames, one of them being Sin City. Another nickname of Corinth was Carnal Corinth. And then another nickname that the city of Corinth had in the day of Paul was the nickname of Vanity Fair. This was not a city of morality. This was a city of debauchery. Matter of fact, one person actually states that there was a term that was used called to Corinthianize, Corinthianize, Corinthianize. And basically what Corinthianize meant was to corrupt a person beyond their moral limits. To push somebody beyond their moral limits. And a lot of people traveled to the city simply to do that as a quote-unquote rite of passage. You can imagine the type of uh, persecution, stress, and, and temptation that this church would have been struggling with. This was in the inner city, if you will, of Sin City. So here you have a church 
that's not too old, maybe a decade or two old, with a lot of young, immature Christians there living in the center of immorality that is very prevalent in this hedonistic, Hellenistic society. You can only imagine that there is a lot of struggles that they're going through. This is one of the reasons why Paul begins here in verse number one. He says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal. You see, Paul reveals the fact that these are carnal Christians, babes in Christ. If you were to look in chapter one, verse number six of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, we read that Paul makes a mention about these Corinthian believers that says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Chapter 3, verse number 1, Paul says, and I, brethren. The interesting thing about that Greek word for brethren, it could be used as uh, the national identity, the heritage, brethren, sort of as kinsmen, my Jewish brothers. But we know there is a lot of Gentiles Paul is talking about. So using this term as brethren, it can also mean as brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's addressing them as brethren. And then if you were to go on to this in verse chapter number 3, and we look down into verse number 5, we realize that Paul says, We were ministers by whom ye believed. So right off the bat, the first thing I want to get across is the fact that the audience that Paul is addressing to are Christians. These are Christians living in the, in the middle of a highly immoral city. And yet Paul says here in verse number one, he says, I wanted to speak to you as spiritual Christians, but I can't. I want to feed you with meat, but you're still on the milk. You're babes in Christ. They're immature Christians. You see, Scripture, the New Testament actually talks about three types of people. You have your natural man, your carnal man, and your spiritual man. The natural man is considered a person that's unregenerate. They are not saved. They are an unbeliever. The carnal man is a person that's saved individual, a Christian, but they are carnal or worldly, and they're caught up in the world systems, if you will. Then you have what's known as the spiritual man, which is somebody that is a committed follower of Jesus Christ, i.e. a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is someone that's taking their faith seriously and is trying to live like Christ day in and day out. I like to illustrate it like this. These three types of men, the natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual man, are like three different types of boats. You have a rowboat, a motorboat, and a sailboat. Your rowboat, simply, you sit in there, you got your two oars, and you're just trying to row your oars, and you're trying to navigate it wherever you're trying to get to. You're exerting all the effort yourself, and you're directing where it's going. That's similar to the natural man. They're exerting all their effort in man-made religion and works, trying to get somewhere that they want to go, regardless of if it's God's destination or not. You see, then you have what's known as the carnal man or the motorboat. The motorboat has a motor or an engine, but then the individual in the boat is steering the rudder. You have an outboard motor, you're steering it like this. If it's an inboard motor or whatever they're called, you got your wheel. And so the carnal man has the ability to move forward because the motor's there. They're not exerting their energy, but they're still steering it wherever they're wanting it to go. It's the carnal man, the worldly man. Then you have the spiritual man, which I liken to a sailboat. You see, a sailboat simply goes in the direction that the wind takes it. So when the wind picks up, 
the individual, the sailor, will adjust its sails to catch the wind and go in the direction that the boat's going to go. So this, to me, is the spiritual Christian, the mature Christian, the committed disciple follower of Christ that's taking their faith seriously. They're seeking the Spirit's leading and guidance. They're following the wind of God to go where he wants to take them. You see, Paul is talking right now, not of the natural man, not of the rowboat. He's not talking about the sailboat or the spiritual man. He's talking about the worldly, carnal Christians, those immature believers that probably had no discipleship in their life, and they're struggling with how do I live my faith in the midst of such debauchery and hedonism. This is the backdrop real quick. Let's move on to verses 4 through 9. He says, for while one saith, talking about the carnal and the divisions, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And we're going to stop there. You see, here in this church in the city of Corinth, there were cliques. There are factions, if you will. There were people that were wearing the team Paul jerseys. You got your Auburn people. You got your Alabama people. You got people wearing the team Apollos jerseys. And so they were identifying themselves with the person as opposed to the mission of the church or the Savior. You see, I find this interesting here in verse number 5 because Paul says, who is Paul? It's interesting to me that it's in the third person. Paul doesn't say, who am I? Paul says, who is Paul? You know, I think he's trying to go ahead and distance himself from this uh, maybe charge of false humility, if you will. But he's saying, who is, who is Paul and who is Apollos? We are what? What does he say? He says here, we are but ministers by whom you believed. You see, if you read Paul's letters, you realize that Paul never builds himself up as this high, mighty God since his conversion. Paul regularly calls himself the chief of sinners, that he is the least apostle, that he is a servant of Christ. He's a minister, and the word for minister means servant. You see, the people in the church were trying to put Paul and Apollos on pedestals. But Paul is very quick to make sure he is stepping off that pedestal and bowing to Christ. And that's what every single one of us should do. You see... When a church elevates a person, a preacher, or a pastor over Jesus, when a church is divided about who their favorite person, preacher, or pastor is, it's prime time for the adversary to inflict damage on the body of Christ. It's a trap that many churches fall into, that a church is identified by a person rather than the person, the God-man Jesus Christ. You see, Paul here simply says what his role was, what Apollos' role was within the church. And he says in verse number six, I've planted and Apollos watered, but it was God that gave the increase. How many people have you, have you heard a, a, an evangelist or somebody say, if you haven't led anybody to the Lord, you're not doing your job? How many people have heard that? I've heard that. And when I first heard that, I was like, ah, I'm such a failure Christian because I haven't led anybody to the Lord. You know, 
growing in the faith and really understanding scripture, the more I realize that statement, though it may be well-meaning when it's given, is completely bad, completely bad statement. Because we are merely ministers of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is not you or I that saves, but God does the saving. We merely do the discussions. You see, Paul says, I plant Apollos waters. Did you realize, and I've said this before, most of the time we're all gardeners. We're all gardeners. My grandfather was a gardener up in Pennsylvania. He used to plant watermelons and potatoes and tomatoes. He had huge sunflowers in the field, and I guess that's where sunflower seeds come from, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Is that where sunflower seeds come from? Sunflowers? It makes sense to me, but not everything that makes sense is accurate. But, uh, and so it was pretty neat seeing those sunflowers trying to reach the sun. But you see, he had a wonderful garden, a very big garden. But while we were out there, he had to go ahead and till the ground. He had to aerate it. He had to get the right soil together. He had to plant the seed. He had to water the seed. He had to go. One of my fondest memories was going out there with one of these metal cans and going off there and picking off potato bugs. How many people know what potato bugs are? You know, I used to go out there and pick off potato bugs and put them in the can. Now I'm afraid to touch them, but back then I didn't care. I had a lot of confidence as a kid. And I'd throw them in there. And so you pick potato bugs. You clear out the weeds. And then it comes time to harvest the watermelon. Oh, yeah, watermelon's so delicious, isn't it? Especially the seedless. Well, I don't know. If you're a boy, you, you know, you probably like seeded watermelon. You could spit them at your brother and stuff like that. But uh, the watermelon was so delicious. But what's interesting about the gardening process is the fact that Gardening takes a while. Harvesting takes but a moment. So what Paul's trying to get across here is the fact that Paul plants Apollos waters. They are one. And it's God that does the saving. And the fact that most of the time you and I, we're gardening. We're watering. We're tilling the soil. We're picking off the potato bugs. We're weeding the beds. Things like that. And so... It is a huge joy to be able to lead someone to Christ. It is a huge joy to tell them the gospel message and to be there for them to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. But realize this. Out of 99% of those times, that person has been gardened way before you've harvested them in most of those cases. And so don't despair if you're like, I've never led anybody to the Lord. Work on gardening. Work on watering, planting the seeds, weeding the flower beds, stuff like this. Paul says here, verse number 8, He that planteth and he that watereth are one. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Paul doesn't say that you're going to receive a reward if somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior. He says you're going to receive a reward according to your labor. Meaning, if you never lead a soul to Christ, but you've been gardening every week, you've been watering every week, you've been picking potato bugs every week, but maybe you just haven't harvested, God's promising you're going to get a reward based on your labor, not based on your success rate. There's a big difference there. 
So I encourage every single one of us to look at gardening and trying to find out, okay, who is there somebody that needs to know about the love of Christ? Who is there somebody that needs to be encouraged in the faith? Who is there that I can just be a witness to and let this light shine so that they can see my good works and glorify our Father in heaven, right? So that's what Paul is talking about. But if we're not involved in any gardening, in any tilling of the land or weeding or anything, we're not going to get any reward in, in this, this regard. Matter of fact, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ at the beam of seat of Christ, and Jesus is going to look at our life as a Christian and say, what have you done for me? I've done that for you. Could you not have gardened for me? I didn't tell you to save people. That's my job. I just told you to tell people. What are we going to do when we stand there? You see... Paul finishes this section by saying that in verse number nine, that we are God's husbandry. We are God's building. And I love the word husbandry because it gives the, the idea that there's a management of that field, a cultivated field in the fact that when we are saved, we are that building that God has created. And Ephesians chapter two, verse number 10 says that we are created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, masterpiece, for what? For good works, that we should do them. And so when we get saved, we're saved to do these good works, to go ahead and minister to others and allow people to know about the love of Christ. And that is what God does in our lives here in verse number nine, saying that we're God's husbandry, we're God's building, that God wants to use us. And if we let him, he will cultivate our spiritual life. He will germinate our spiritual life. He will pick the weeds, pluck the bugs, things like that. But then let's get down to the main passage. It says in verse 10 through 14, it says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me. Notice, again, Paul's humility. He doesn't say, because I'm Apostle Paul, that I was chosen by God specifically on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, because I'm that guy. He says, no, by the grace of God. He says elsewhere in chapter number 10, I believe it is, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's all because of God's grace. He says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a word. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by the fire. You see, Paul reveals that this foundation is what? Christ. And so there's a debate, there's a discussion amongst theologians on whether this building that's being referenced is actually the church or whether it's talking about a Christian, a spiritual life. Dr. Thomas Constable believes this is a reference to the church. Uh, Dr. Robbie Dean, who I align with as well, believes this is talking about the spiritual life as a Christian, saying if you're building upon the church or if you're building upon your own life as a Christian, I believe it's the latter rather than the former. You see, Paul says here, with this building, our lives as a Christian, he says, take heed on how you build. Whenever we see the words take heed or beware, things like that, those are attention grabbers. Those are attention steps. 
We need to really focus because what Paul is saying, what God essentially is saying is, now pay attention. Be careful on how you build on your foundation, on your building, on your life. You see, you, you got the gold, silver, precious stones, you got your wood, hay, and you got your stubble. I like what Dr. Warren Wearsby has to say about this part. He says that wood, hay, and stubble, you can go in your backyard and see that all over the ground. But gold, silver, precious stones, you have to dig for. You have to work at it. You have to put in the effort. And I think this is what Paul is getting across right here as well. I think the gold, silver, precious stones are the godly characteristics and traits, the good living that we reflect the light of Christ, whereas the wood, hay, and stubble is the bad traits that is detracting from the gospel message and the kingdom of God. Thankfully, Paul says, regardless of the materials that we are building on, he says, we are still saved, yet so as by fire. In verse number 15, this is a beautiful uh, proof text, one of many of the security of the saints, that regardless as a Christian, what you do, you can never forfeit or lose your salvation. It's solely predicated on the love and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so he's talking about building. And with these last five minutes, I want to look at our 13 things, or 28 things, because you guys gave me so many more. And I want to see... What about these areas of building this house? Because we're building on our foundation. We bought 76, we cleared the land, we poured the foundation. So now let's look at these 13 that we talked about before and figure out, okay, what does this mean in my spiritual life? And by looking at these, we're going to look really consider how do we build a life that Jesus Christ would be proud of? You see... We've already cleaned up debris. We've already poured the foundation. The foundation is in Jesus Christ. It's our faith in Christ. The next thing we do is, this may not be in the proper order, all my architects out there, but uh, this is in my order on my sheet. But the first thing we do is frame the house. We've got to have the skeleton, of you will, of the house. We frame it up. You've got your exterior walls, your interior walls. What is the purpose of the frame? Well, it divides the walls, gives you the picture of the rooms. It also provides structural support for the floors and structural support for the roof as well. And so with the frame of the house, we're looking at this. When we get saved, we have the foundation. Our framing is the basic principles of God's word. Knowing the basic principles on how do we live this thing called the Christian life. Should I use more money than I actually have? Should I love my neighbor when he's treating me but wrong? It's about applying biblical principles. So we got the frame built up. Now we're looking at the roof. What does the roof do? Well, the roof protects us from the weather, inclement weather. And every now and then, there's some damage that's done to our roofs. We have to fix shingles. This I look at that we need to have our Christian life when we're building on our foundation under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I know some people in the free grace don't like the word lordship, but it is a very biblical concept when it's understood in its context. The fact that Jesus Christ should be the Lord of my life. If it's not for him, I'd have no reason for living. So I should do everything I can to please him and follow his will. And so with the roof of my house, I'm under the lordship of Christ and trusting in his protection and his providence. Then we build our, we put in our joists, we put in our subfloor so that we can start laying nice laminate, hardwood, vinyl plank, whatever the case is. The floors provide level surface. You don't want to go ahead and have your dresser start, you know, sliding this way or that way. You got to level the area. And so when we're looking at this, we're looking at the fact that 
This floor provides balance and stability. Is that not what grace does in our life? Does not grace provide balance for our walk and balance for others and stability in our walk? Then we have our walls. So we got our frame, we got our roof, we got our floors. Now we're putting up the walls and the sheetrock. We're separating one room from another. We're making sure there are specific spaces in the house for specific things. Our closet, our bedroom, our entertainment room, whatever the case is. I look at this as holiness. Be holy for I am holy. This is an aspect and the word holy simply means to be set apart. Distinct from the world. And so with the walls that are being put up, that there's a room for every specific purpose, that we as a Christian have a specific purpose and we should be set apart for that purpose of God. Then from there, before you put all the sheetrock up, you want to run your electrical wires. Electrical wires provides power to the house. You can run your appliances, your outlets, things like that. You see, the Holy Spirit is that power in our life. Apart from that, we can do nothing in and of ourselves. And so we need the Spirit's power in our life. But you know what's interesting? Dr. Tony Evans makes a very fascinating point. You see, we have light switches all over the place, right? And if the lights are turned off, the power is still there. The power is readily available. But we're not benefiting from any of the power unless that switch is turned on. That's when the benefit comes. The Holy Spirit resides inside each and every believer. And we have the power to live a victorious Christian life. But many times our light switch is in the off position. Because we're not trying to get Christ and the Holy Spirit to use us and tap into that electrical power that's known as the Holy Spirit. You see, then we have plumbing. We have plumbing. allows for washing dishes, bathing ourselves, getting rid of, you know, the sewage, if you will. Clogged pipes. Nobody likes clogged pipes. One time my toilet backed up, you know, underneath the the base, and it was not fun. It it, it stank pretty bad. And so we don't want that. We need good plumbing. So what plumbing is to the life of a Christian is prayer and confession. We need to get rid of things that are in our lives. We need to get right with God and confess and agree with God that what I'm doing, thinking, saying is wrong, and forgive me for that. We need to go to God. We need ventilation. We need to get rid of the toxic exhaust fumes, you know, that are in the house. We need, I used to say this all the time when I was in the military with my airmen, is like, let me be a ventilation shaft. Come in, close my door, say, sir, you know, I'll rank aside, uh, and then just vent. We need to have a close confidant. Galatians chapter 6 says we need to bear one another's burdens. And so we need to be close confidant to be able to vent our emotions, our struggles, our fears, our cares, our concerns with one another. Then we need insulation. We need to be able to keep warm in in the winter and cool in the summer. We need to be able to uh, make sure it's soundproofing. The Holy Spirit is that warmth. It is that coolness. It is that peace and that security that the insulation provides. We need the windows and doors, which allow us to see what's outside, see threats, doors to allow things in, prevent things from coming in as well. We need to watch our seeing, and we need to watch our doing. We need to watch what we're allowing into our lives, into our homes, and into our minds. These are all illustrations of building a house. And lastly, we have our landscape, which I also put in there, pest control, termites, and weeds. Nobody wants to look at a house that has no curb appeal. You have nice rose bush, you know, gardens, you know, no weeds and lush grass, beautiful yard, pristine, great curb appeal. 
And so in the Christian life, this is what the world sees. They don't see inside our house with the plumbing, the electrical, or any of that. They see our curb appeal. And so with our curb appeal, are we reflecting the light of Christ well? Are we being who Christ called us to be? Do we have pride in our relationship with Christ? And are we being an ambassador? You see, with all these things that we looked at as far as building upon our our foundation, we bought Sunday 6, we built this house, and all these different aspects. From pouring the foundation, building the frame, and the roof, realize the early stages of the foundation and the framing, they were vital to the structural support. Once those areas are built, maintenance is rarely needed. But then when you get to the electrical, the plumbing, the ventilation, more and more regular maintenance needs to happen. Otherwise, you're going to have major failures in bigger areas. If electrical issues are ignored, it could cause a fire, building the, uh, burning the frame. If plumbing issues are neglected, it could back up sewage. It could also rot the interior of the wood frame, causing structural damage. If pest control is ignored, termites can get into your frame. These are all things that are structural to the house. And so what I want us to look at this week and just pray for this week is when we're building and Paul says take heed on how we're building on this foundation, when we're building our frame, when we're building our ventilation, our electrical, how are we doing in our maintenance with that? Are we having our praying and confession? Confession? Is our plumbing going well? Are we tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit with the electrical? You say, we have to take heed and really pay attention on what we're doing and how we're living our Christian life on the foundations of Christ. In a building that Jesus Christ is proud of is built on a relationship with Christ, biblical principles, the lordship of Jesus, trusting in God, grace, holiness, seeking the power of the spirit, prayer and confession, carrying another's burdens, having peace watching what we look at, defending what we allow in our lives, and having a visible life that reveals that we are truly disciples of Christ. That's how we build a life that's pleasing to God. Amen? And I know I went a little over, but I thank you for your attention. So this week, just pray about that. And and I know I'm seeking, you know, where do I need to do some maintenance? And you do as well. Uh, Like I said, Lord willing, Pastor Ken will be back Sunday to preach and finish out his series. And so with that, I don't think there's any uh, big things happening. I know Saturday's the ladies' secret sister party at 10.30 a.m. here at the church. And so be here for that if you're a part of the secret sister. If you're not part of the secret sister, you can still come and just enjoy a great time with the women of the church. So with that, I will close in prayer, and we will see you all Sunday. God, I thank you just for this evening. Thank you for just the principles we can glean from your word as far as uh, creating a spiritual life that brings pleasure to you. So, Lord, just convict us where we need conviction. Give us the power of the Spirit to make changes. And, Lord, just allow us to carry one another's burden so that we could be the ventilation shaft that we all need. We thank you for the blood of Christ and the foundation of Christ in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.